Thank you so much, Austin and Aaron. I love seeing our young people up here, don't you? On this Memorial Day, take time to pause and have a grateful heart for those who lay down their lives so that you and I can be here today. We are so grateful to welcome Pastor Carl Hafner as our mid-morning speaker at our 2017 Carolina camp meeting here at Lake Junaluska. Pastor Hafner is a teaching pastor at Kettering Adventist Church in Kettering, Ohio. He is very deeply in love with his wife, Sherry, and his two daughters, Lindsay and Claire. He easily captivates our attention with fascinating stories, and you are going to love these mid-morning services. He's the author of several great books and has written regularly for a number of periodicals. He has two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and one Ph.D., so if you're questioning his education, don't question it anymore. Dr. Hafner loves to pile on frequent flyer miles, and I think I could actually learn to love broccoli the way he loves broccoli. He can even put ice cream on broccoli. Now, those of you who know me, broccoli is not my favorite vegetable. George, Bush, and I are good friends. But ice cream on broccoli, that's a novel thought. If you've ever heard Dr. Hafner preach, he will make you laugh and he will inspire you with an amazing depth of wisdom. This week, he will explore with you God's big question to all of us. Can I get a witness which underscores another dimension of our theme for this camp meeting? sharing him. Join me as we uplift Pastor Hafner in prayer as he brings us our morning message entitled, Are We Just Talking to Ourselves? O God, our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing our brother, Pastor Hafner, here to share this time of reprieve and retreat as we have gathered together as your people. But Lord, it's not just a time for us to relax and forget about a world that is so much in need of Jesus Christ. So when we leave this place, Lord, may others see Jesus in us, and may they be drawn to the Savior, and I pray that Jesus will shine through and radiate in every message that Pastor Hafner shares with us each mid-morning service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Wow. So good to be here at the greatest camp meeting in the galaxy. And I, I really mean that, truthfully. Uh, so excited to be here. This is actually my third time. Oh, they left me. Okay. It's just us. Good. Uh, it's actually my third time at the Carolina camp meeting. I love this camp meeting. I still remember the first time I came many years ago, showed up at about 2 o'clock in the morning 
pounding rain, never been here before. It didn't look like places where they normally have camp meeting. And uh, I, I had no idea where I was going to go. And then I saw this large banner stretched across the street out here that said, Wills and Trusts from the stewardship department. And I knew I was among Adventists. <laughs> because you know the Adventist mantra, if there's a will, we want to be in it. And so I knew I was home with my people here. I uh, just have such great memories of this place. Uh, it's just an Edenic setting. Uh, looking out over the lake this morning, I thought I was going to be raptured. Such an incredible place, cradled in these mountains. Now, I love the mountains, but you understand, I come from Ohio. Where it is so flat, I can watch my dog run away for six weeks. Uh, so, I love the mountains, I love the water, uh, I love the people of this camp meeting. I have found you to be the most gracious, affirming, wonderful people anywhere on the planet. And uh, for today, I want to at least just briefly acknowledge uh, a special group who may be a part of us this morning. Uh, any veterans or active military personnel with us? I just want to pause here and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, especially on this day where we... <laughs> acknowledge your service, thank you. Uh, and then the third thing that I love about this camp meeting this year is your theme, Share Him. Uh, this past year at my church at Kettering, I did a 52-week series. Every week through the year, we did on the theme, Sharing Jesus. Uh, same theme that you've got going here this week, and I'm so delighted uh, that that's what will bring us together. Uh, we'll be asking different questions uh, in our 11 o'clock meetings, and I really hope that you can commit to being here every morning this week as we think about different questions around the big question that God asks His people at the end of time, can I get a witness? How many of us will leave this camp meeting committed to actually sharing Jesus? And so on your way in in the mornings, uh, I see they're passing out the outline. That will keep us in the same version. Uh, some weeks or some days you'll have some blanks to fill in, so you might want to bring a pen to the morning sessions and grab the outline uh, as you come in, or we will hand them out at this time as well. So uh, one more time, let's just pause our hearts for prayer. Uh, God, now we, as we open your word, ask that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would do something supernatural in our midst during the morning meetings this week, uh, that we would all know without any question that we have been in your presence. So now, God, we're just open to whatever you wish to do with us in the name of Jesus.
So my brothers didn't think that I could survive an hour of aerobics. I knew they couldn't, so a friendly wager was on. We were on a cruise ship with nothing to do, all day to do it, when I ventured out onto the dance floor to mimic the moves of the instructor, but not to panic. This Seventh-day Adventist pastor was not dancing. I am as coordinated as a moose on ice skates. I was only there because I had to keep up with my little brothers, who I knew to be right behind me. And so I desperately tried to do this aerobic session. By the end of it, an hour later or so, I met up with my brothers over by the exercise bikes. I looked like I had just finished six marathons. They looked like they were going to church. So didn't you think that was hard? And they said, what's that? The aerobics. Oh, uh, uh, you didn't do it? I said, no, the only reason I did it because I thought you were right behind me. Well, we were at the beginning, but then, you know, we saw how silly you looked, and we thought, (laughs) if we looked anything like that, we wanted nothing to do with it. Those buzzards here, I thought they were right behind me. Come to find out, you know, I'm just exercising by myself. Now, I wonder aloud today if in that story we might not see a parable of our church. Oh, we're exercising hard. We got activity. We're doing things. We're rushing and racing and all kinds of activities in the church. But have you ever just stopped long enough to wonder, are we just exercising by ourselves? Or are we really impacting the world for Christ? I think back to when I had accepted a call to move from Seattle, Washington, where we were living at the time, to Walla Walla to pastor at the Walla Walla, now University Church. I was enrolled at a university there in Seattle working on my MBA degree when after class that evening, a young woman came up, introduced herself, and said, somebody told me that you are moving to Walla Walla, Washington. I said, you've heard of it? And she said, we used to live there. Really? Well, in a suburb of Walla Walla. I didn't know Walla Walla was a big enough town to have its own little suburb. And she explained, yeah, we lived in this little town called College Place, which, of course, where our college is at. Really? And so what was that like? Oh, it's a nice, sleepy little town. We loved living there. Um, We lived on this cul-de-sac, and everybody there, all of our neighbors were, um, oh, what? Uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Really? Yeah. Well, what was that like? Well, I, I don't really know much about them. Um, the only thing I know is that they don't do garage sales on Saturday. <laughs> Isn't that the strangest thing she said you've ever heard? Uh, yeah, that's pretty weird. Um, and then she asked, uh, so... Why are you moving there? (laughs) Well, uh, a job transfer. Really? What kind of job do you do? Like that's any of her business. 
I said, well, I'm, a, I'm an Adventist pastor. Really? You're a pastor? I, had no, I didn't know you were a pastor. You seem so normal. <laughs> to this day, that conversation still haunts me. I wonder, how is it that somebody can live on a, comp, a cul-de-sac comprised only of Seventh-day Adventists and years later move from there and the only thing she knows about us is that we don't do garage sales on Saturday? It just makes me wonder, are we just talking to ourselves? Now, don't get me wrong. I love gatherings like this. I am a camp meeting junkie. I've been to lots and lots of Adventist camp meetings all around the world. So when I say this one is the best one in the galaxy, I know of which I speak. I love coming together as the body of Christ. I love camp meetings. But if this is all we do, if we just come together and talk to ourselves, of what value is that really? The Apostle Paul wrestled with this very question. Are we just talking to ourselves? You can find his struggle as expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, well-known passage beginning in verse 19. Listen to the heart of the Apostle. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. You hear his heart, right? I do everything I know how, whatever it takes. I'm going to do that to win as many people as possible. I'll tell you, when this passage first got hold of my heart, I couldn't sleep at night because it occurred to me that almost all of my significant friendships were with Adventists. It occurred to me that I work with Adventists, I eat with Adventists, I play with Adventists, I worship with Adventists. My whole world is the church. I love Seventh-day Adventists. And so I started to make this a real matter of prayer, wondering, God, if I wanted to get intentional about sharing Jesus with those who don't know Him, where would I even start? Where do you go to reach lost people? And then I had this epiphany. Oh, I know where all lost people hang out. The bowling alley. (laughs) So I marched down to the local bowling alley, signed up for what was called the Lousy Bowlers League. And that (laughs) sounded about my speed. Well... I don't mean this as a judgmental statement, but I can tell you, everybody on my bowling team sure seem like lost people. 
You know, they drank like lost people, and they smoked like lost people, and they cursed mostly at me like lost people because I really am a terrible bowler, but I wasn't even there to bowl. I was there to build friendships with people who don't know God. And they would tell these really off-color jokes that were very funny. And, you know, I'd feel really guilty because I, I knew I shouldn't be laughing at this, but, man, it was just really funny. And then I knew, yeah, I, you can never use these stories in the pulpit because they're inappropriate, and that just seemed like such a waste. But anyway, um, I'd get home late at night, often 1 o'clock in the morning, reeking of cigarette smoke I'd often have this conversation with God when I'd get home and just wonder, what am I doing? I'm not making any impact. I'm not a good bowler. What, what is the point of all of this? And I can tell you, I have never felt such an overwhelming sense of peace with God as I did in those conversations because it was as if God was just wrapping his big arms around me saying, Carl, understand this. When you are at that bowling alley being intentional about building friendships with people who are far from God, it is in those moments that you are most in the center of my will. So you just keep doing that. Think about ways like the Apostle Paul. How can I share him with people who don't know him? How can I win as many as possible to God? Now, I wish that I could end my bowling alley story like evangelists always end their stories. You know, to say, well, I... Uh, I led everybody on my bowling team to Christ and then I baptized them and we set up this makeshift baptistry there in the bowling alley and then I started baptizing all of the other teams and then we transformed the bowling alley into this big sanctuary and the, the last person that I baptized was the manager of the bowling alley and you know him today as Leslie Louie. I wish that's how my story ended. Truth is, over a year, one pseudo-spiritual conversation, that's it. Buddy was going through a divorce. I said to him, I think God could maybe help you through this really turbulent time in your life. We have a lost relationships support group that meets every Friday night at my church. I'd love to pick you up this coming Friday night and take you to that group. I'll go with you every week, and I think it might be helpful. And he said, uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then later that week on Friday afternoon, he called me, and he said, I'm just not ready to, to go to a church. I... And he flaked, and that was it. A year. Oh, I get it. 
Why, after a while, it's just so much easier, isn't it, to sit around, to sit back with the unpublished mission statement of the church. Look, let's just talk to ourselves. It's so much easier. But it's not what God has called us to be about. Listen again to the Apostle Paul. This from the Living Bible Translation. He says, When with the heathen, I agree with the heathen as much as I can. Except, of course, I must always do what is right as a Christian. And so, by agreeing with the heathens, I can win their confidence and help them to everything I can compromise in order to win the heathens to Christ, that's what I'm going to do. Of course I won't compromise the gospel, but I'll do everything I can to reach the heathen. And I wonder, is that the same spirit that is prevalent in God's church today? Now, I think we would all give the right answer. We'd all say, of course, our church wants to win the heathen. We sing hymns like Jesus, friend of sinners. And we want to be like Jesus, right? We want to be friends of sinners. But I wonder sometimes if it's actually true. If like the Apostle Paul, we say, anything I can do... I want to be a friend of sinners. I think back to one of my closest friends in seminary. We always wanted to serve as pastors in the same conference. It didn't work out. After he graduated, he went to a uh, large church with a multi-pastor staff. I went to a different conference, started a church there in Seattle, and we would talk late into the nights on the phone and After several years, he said, it's just untenable. He says, Carl, I can't stand this any longer. He says, we're not impacting our neighborhoods. We're not really reaching lost people. And so he started a Saturday evening service that was orchestrated and planned just for people who don't know God. That was their target market, their target audience. And it was growing for over a year to where they were getting a couple hundred people every Saturday night. There's this vibrant worship service at the church, and my friend was really excited about all of this. And then the whole thing just sort of blew up. Deacons started complaining that uh, they didn't really like coming into the church on Sunday mornings to sweep up the cigarette butts in the parking lot. And I don't blame them. And then somebody else complained in this one board meeting that his son was exposed to uh, very foul language in the restroom of their church from one of these seekers, one of these heathens. And Of course, you can understand a parent doesn't want your kid learning those words, right, in in church of all places. And so it just gets messy until the whole thing blew up at one board meeting. 
where they were voting whether or not to shut down the seeker service because, again, it just gets messy. Who needs that? Now, at one point, a woman who had been a member of the church there for many, many years stood up, walked over to my friend, pointed her finger in his nose, and said, maybe you don't understand this, young man, but did you realize our church was established only for the culturally elite. My friend said, I had no idea that was the purpose of this church. He stood up and he said, I can tell you, I'm not giving my one and only life to a mission like that. Left the ministry left the church. They shut down the seeker service on Saturday night. That same woman was overheard in the lobby a few months later, gloating with a friend. She says, isn't it wonderful? We finally got our church back. Isn't it wonderful? We don't have those heathens hanging out around here anymore. Isn't it wonderful? The sinners no longer come around. So far as I know, the church is as inaccessible to seekers today as they ever have been. And the truth is, there are many members in the church that frankly want it that way. Because it's messy. It's just easier. Come together every Saturday morning. Come together at camp meeting. Come together as the body of Christ and talk to ourselves. But again, it's not what Christ has called us to be about. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save, and you expect Paul here to save, to say all. I do all things to save all people so that I can save, that's it, some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And it is a blessing, is it not? As I think about over the last 30 years of being a pastor, being engaged in ministry in a local church, I can tell you, as I think about the greatest blessings of my ministry, without any question. The greatest blessings are always related to stories of people where they found Christ, where God used me in whatever capacity to play a small part in this grand redemptive narrative of reconciling a rebellious human race to the Father. There is no greater blessing. Yes, it's hard. And yes, it gets messy. Paul says, I don't care. By all possible means, 
This is what I do so that I can save some and I can share in the blessing and there's no greater blessing, Paul says, than to play a part in someone's salvation for eternity. No greater blessing. You know, Jesus, he he felt so impassioned about this theme of our camp meeting this week. One time, he hauled off and told three stories. Same storyline, same punchline, back to back to back, rapid fire. He tells three stories to illustrate how important this one is, that we share the gospel. He wanted us to know how important lost people are to the Father. You remember the stories, right? There's a shepherd. has a hundred sheep, but one of them wanders off. That sheep matters to the shepherd so... He leaves the 99 at risk in order to find the one sheep that had... Because this sheep matters. And then when he finds that sheep, there is great rejoicing. There's a celebration. There's a woman has 10 coins. She loses one of the coins, but you better believe that coin matters to her. So... There's an all-out search. And when she finds the coin, she rejoices. There is a celebration because the coin matters. I've always found the ratios in the three stories to be intriguing. 100, 10, and then 2. There's a father who has two sons. The younger son wanders off to the big city squanders his dad's inheritance, but you can know that son mattered to the father and every day that's all the father can think about. Until when at last the kid comes home, they have a celebration, invite everybody in the village. They kill the fattened calf because the son matters to the father. And so if I might, I'm simply going to tear a page out of Christ's preaching notebook and in similar fashion share three stories, all stories, that illustrate the same thing, what a blessing it is to share Jesus because every person matters to the Father. Story number one. I met Lisa when I was enrolled at my MBA program at a university there in Seattle. Very first class was a course on public speaking. Figured I'd start with that one because that was the one that I figured was going to be the easiest. And so the professor had us introduce ourselves to the person sitting next to us and then we had to introduce that person to the rest of the class. And so I turned to the young woman next to me. She gave me her card name was Lisa. I noticed she had a lot of initials after her name. She was a CPA and so on and so forth, and financial planner. And she was saying, I'm wanting to get my MBA as well. She worked at Boeing. And she said, I have been putting off this class as long as I possibly could because I hate public speaking. 
then she asked, so what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a pastor. Really? Well, then you don't mind public speaking. I said, no, not at all. And if I can help you in this class, I'd be more than honored to do that. Well, as it turned out, she didn't need my help at all. She aced all of her speeches, and I couldn't even squeak a C out of that professor. He just didn't <laughs> like me. I mean, I was happy for Lisa, but a little frustrated. Anyway, I'll work it out with my therapist later. Uh, <laughs> One evening after class, we were walking to the parking lot, and out of the blue, Lisa said, did you tell me you were a pastor? I said, yeah. So do you believe in God? <laughs> yeah. She says, well, tell me more. I could feel my heart beating a little faster because... I just had this sort of sense that eternity is hanging in the balance. This is my chance to share the gospel. And so as succinctly, compellingly as I possibly knew how, I I just gave her a brief gospel presentation. And when I finished, she nodded her head and said, that's really interesting. And then I said, hey, Lisa, if you ever want to come be a part of an exciting church, uh, I would love to have you come join our church. And she shrugged and said, yeah, who knows, maybe someday. More than a year later, I'm sitting on the platform getting ready to stand up and preach when who should walk into the back of the sanctuary but Lisa along with her boyfriend, Jerry. And so immediately I'm thinking, oh, what am I talking about in this sermon? I hope that it will connect well with Jerry and Lisa because, you know, when you're actually leading your friends to Christ, then you think about what you do and what you say in church. It's not just talking to ourselves, it's thinking about others. And so preach the sermon and as soon as the service was over, of course, I couldn't wait to just meet up with Lisa in the lobby and go and give her a big hug. And she said, uh, yeah, I, I decided to come today. And, and I said, oh, I am so thrilled to see you here. I was just so excited. And she said, yeah, well, actually, uh, I came last Sunday, but you didn't tell me your services are on Saturday. I've never been big on details. Uh, so, well, I'm glad you finally figured it out, what the real day of worship is. And she laughed. And she said, well, the reason I came, check it out. And she shows me this big rock on her finger. Jerry and I are engaged. He finally asked me to marry. I was so excited. She said, but the reason I came is because you're the only clergy person that I know I was hoping that you could perform the ceremony, that you could officiate at the wedding. But the problem is, and I didn't realize this, our wedding is on a Saturday morning. And so far as I can tell, that's the only day you work. Um, and I said, it's a good job, you know, if you can get it. And, uh, I said, oh, no, I would never miss your wedding. And then I said, I'll be there. Whenever it is, I'll, I'll be there. And I said, hey, you got to come back next Saturday. She said, well, it wasn't as weird as I had feared. Maybe we will. We'll see. <laughs> so 
So next Friday, I pull into the campus or church, and the lawn had not been mowed that week. It just looked really shabby, and so I called the head deacon and said, hey, what's up with the lawn? And he said, yeah, sorry, Pastor, but the riding mower broke down. I'll fix it Sunday, and I'll... uh, I'll make sure it gets mowed next Sunday. Well, normally I wouldn't really care about that. I'd say fine, but all I could think about is, oh, no, because Jerry and Lisa may be coming tomorrow, and I don't want them to get the impression that church is not important to us. I don't want them to think that it doesn't really matter if our grounds don't look nice. That doesn't reflect who we are or what we believe about God. and I just insisted, no, 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 no. We, we, we gotta, we gotta get the lawn mowed. And he said, but it's five acres, and uh, the riding mower isn't working. And I said, I don't care. Get some scissors. I'll help you. <laughs> and we found some push mowers, and we mowed the lawn. And I was so thrilled because, sure enough, the next day Jerry and Lisa came to church. See, it it just changes everything, friends. When we really live out this commission to share Jesus, it's one thing to do evangelism by sending out mass mailers and hoping that they come to a seminar. That's all fine and good. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, it changes everything in the church. It changes everything in your own spiritual walk. When it's no longer some nameless, faceless stranger coming to hear truth, but it's your nephew, it's your neighbor, it's your classmate. Then these things like the grounds and the grass, it matters because we do everything we know how to interest them in a relationship with Jesus. So Jerry and Lisa kept coming week after week until she started to kid me about, you know, I'm more faithful than you are attending Saturday morning. You're always flying to these camp meetings and whatever, and I'm there every week. And we would have them over almost every Saturday night, her and Jerry, and then we got them connected in the church and for well over a year until uh, we hosted an evangelistic series by Ken Cox and Lonnie Meloshenko. They were broadcasting this via satellite and so on, and Jerry and Lisa were coming every night. One night after the meeting, uh, I asked Lisa, would you like to go up and meet uh, Ken and Lonnie? And she said, I'd love that. And so now, I don't know if you know Lonnie Meloshenko, but uh, for years, uh, the worked for Voice of Prophecy in the TV ministry and, and so on. And, and if you know Lonnie, he, um, he always, you know, looks perfect. And he's just a good-looking guy and, you know, perfect hair and dresses really snappy. And so we go up, and I, and I didn't know Lonnie very well, uh, but I say, hey, Lonnie, I want you to meet some really good friends of mine. This is Jerry and this is Lisa. And Lisa, the first thing she says to him is, your hair is always so perfect. I just want to mess it up. <laughs> I'm behind her trying to signal Lonnie. I'm trying. 
I'm the leader to Christ. Just go with it. Go with it. But before I could do anything or Lonnie could react or Lisa just lunges after his perfect hair and just starts doing this. You know, which I know you don't, you don't really get it with my hairstyle, but uh, trust me, and Lonnie just stood there in shock. And, uh, and I tell the story with Lonnie's permission. He, for the last many years, has been a member of our church there in Kettering, Ohio. And so when I told this story in our church there, I could see several people around him going after the hair. So, uh, uh, well, it was during that series of meetings that I went to visit Jerry and Lisa in their home. And uh, I asked them, so have you ever thought about getting baptized? And they said together in perfect stereo, we thought you'd never ask. And I said, well, I'm asking. I said, we would be so honored. We've been talking about it, and we know this is the right thing to do. Uh, And so, you know, the next Saturday morning, uh, again, you know, when when I think about the pinnacles of my career as a pastor, standing in the baptistry with Jerry and Lisa right up there at the top, to lower them into the water, new life in Christ. That was many, many years ago now, but through the years, Lisa has faithfully stayed in touch. I no longer, of course, pastor at that church, but uh, she, over the years, every little bit, she writes me a letter, like handwritten cursive, like in an actual envelope. And in this country, did you know, you can actually put that, like you put a stamp on it and you put it in a mailbox. And I know younger people aren't getting this at all. Uh, And like if Lisa's laughing out loud, she actually writes it out. I am laughing out loud. She doesn't put LOL. She doesn't send Facebook or email. She resisted all technology for years Uh, Now I'm sad to say, quite recently, she has gotten a Facebook page, uh, but she just feels strongly that there's still something to be said for a handwritten letter in an envelope. And so, uh, you know, I have hundreds of letters from Lisa, uh, and every single one of them, she says, uh, thank you for leading us to this church. And she has been very, very active in her local church all through these years. Uh, and then, uh, actually, um, here, not long ago, uh, she was on an assignment. They still live in Seattle, and she still works for Boeing, but she was on an assignment in Washington, D.C., and it happened that I was uh, doing a devotional for... Uh, the union office there, and it was a Christmas party, and uh, I called Lisa because I knew she was there for a few weeks and said, hey, why don't you and Jerry come and uh, join me at this banquet, this Christmas party, and I told her story, and when I finished, she raised her hand and said, "Uh, would you mind if I sort of shared my 
half of that story. And I didn't know she was going to do that. And keep in mind, this is the girl. Your hair is too perfect. You know, oh, boy. So I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm just really nervous as she's walking up to the microphone saying, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, you know, tell, tell my story. And I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, and I'm telling you, oh, friends, oh. you know, I just wept as she, she says, you know, she's just how much she loves the Seventh-day Adventist church and how Jesus is so radically changed her life and Jerry's life from back when you know, they were living together and she didn't know what she wanted to do with her life and all of this mess and just Jesus has made all the difference. I do all of this so that I can partake in the blessing. There's just no greater blessing than to see one Jerry, one Lisa, be a part of their story coming to Jesus. Story number two, one of my favorite stories to tell, that of Bob and Karen, lived down in Southern California. Bob didn't have a job. Karen worked very part-time in the back of this sweatshop sewing leather jackets for motorcyclist enthusiasts and so on. And as they tell their story, one day Bob comes into the back of this sweaty, hot, stuffy shop. He takes one look at Karen, and he says to her, first thing before he even introduces himself, he says, I find myself to be irresistibly attracted to you. Kind of the not-so-subtle approach. And Karen looked at him and said, well, hello, and uh, my name's Karen, and I find myself to be eerily attracted to you as well. And he said, well, it's just crazy, isn't it? It clearly, we're attracted to each other. What do you say we um, start living together and see where this goes? And she says, all right, fine. And actually things were going along quite well for a few weeks until one early morning as they're lying in bed, Karen says out of the blue, you know, Bob, I think we ought to go to church. And Bob says, oh, well, uh, you know, we're not really church people. Uh, and she said, I know, but I think we should go to... And so they start arguing back and forth and, until finally Bob strikes a deal. Fine, I'll go to church with you this weekend if you'll let me get a little more sleep. And she said, deal. And so she hurriedly goes to the Yellow Pages and starts flipping through to see what the options are. And she notices this one church listed there has a peculiar name, Seventh-day Adventist. I wonder if seventh day means that they actually meet on the seventh day of the week, which, of course, would be Saturday. That would get me to church a day earlier than Sunday. And so she calls, and sure enough, there is a church that meets on Saturday, not Sunday. So she informs Bob, who didn't even know that most churches meet on Sunday. He was fine with that. So Saturday morning, they come rumbling into the parking lot on their Harley Davidsons, walk into the small foyer of this little Adventist church, wearing leather jackets, breath smelling of stuff they shouldn't have been smoking and drinking and so on. There's this little lady who has been a member of this particular church for over 40 years. 
takes one look at them and asks, Oh, are you visiting? How would you ever know that, right? And uh, and they said, yes. And, oh, perfect. Come, follow me. We have just the class for you. And she escorts them into the back of the sanctuary. There they take a seat in one of the pews. The elder is just getting going on teaching a Sabbath school lesson. And he says, now, before we get into the study, um, do any of you have any questions? Bob's hand shoots up. Yes. Yeah, I want to know, why is it that God kills little babies? Oh, yeah. So that's a great question. Um, And the elder gave an impromptu Bible study on why there's evil in the world, if God is supposed to be good. When he finished, he glanced over to Bob. Does that answer your question at all? And Bob said, yes, it's very helpful. Thank you. They went on with the lesson. Next week, they came back to the Sabbath school class, the following week as well, until after several weeks, Karen suggested, next week, what do you say we stay for church? Up to this point, they'd only attended the Sabbath school class, and Bob said, I really like those people over there. Sure, I'll I'll stay for church with you. Wouldn't you know it, that next Sabbath was the pastor's one sermon out of the year, always did on stewardship. And the problem is, when this pastor got wound up about stewardship, I mean, he really preached. He let the saints have it. The reason you don't understand God's blessing in your life is because some of you aren't paying an honest tithe. You got a tithe. That's how you're going to experience God's blessing. He worked himself out into a big sweat, screaming at the members. You got to tithe. That's where God's blessings are. That week, as they're lying in bed, Karen says to Bob, uh, I think we ought to start paying tithe. <laughs> and Bob says, on what? <laughs> you need an income. Well, I work over at the sweatshop a little bit and sometimes you'd pick up a job here and there and she says, you heard the preacher. The reason we don't really know God's blessing is because we're not paying an honest tithe. And finally, Bob said, well, I can't tell you what to do with your money. If you want to pay tithe on it, then I guess you can try it. Well, that's the only way we're going to know God's blessing. So the next week as they tell their story, When it came time for the offering, Bob took the tithe envelope where Karen had put her money. When the offering plate came by the pew, he stands up in the middle of the 11 o'clock divine hour. He takes this tithe envelope and shakes it at God and says, Okay, God, now do your stuff. Passes it on. But the next week, no blessing. And Bob was quick to point out, see, it doesn't work. No, we got to stay with it. So next week, same drill. Okay, God, do your stuff. Big saying, pass it on. Week after week, no blessing. Till finally, 
Bob says, enough. And Karen says, well, maybe it's because when you get side jobs, you're not paying tithe. We're not paying an honest tithe. Very well, Bob says. Next week, anything I make, I'll pay a tithe on it. But if we don't get God's blessing the week after, then we're never tithing again. Deal? Deal. So the next week, they put in a little extra for Bob's side business here and there. And wouldn't you know, his little business doubled, like to the penny doubled. And so they paid an honest tithe again, and it doubled the next week. And it doubled the next week. And it doubled the next week. You understand, now the little business is growing exponentially, doubling and doubling and doubling 13 weeks in a row until Bob became one of the most lucrative marijuana dealers in all... Of Southern California. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> so the next week after church, they say to the pastor, look, we got to make an appointment. We got to come in and talk to you. So they set up a time and a place and they met with the pastor and, uh, they shared their story, said, Pastor, you know, we started really taking literally that sermon you preached on tithing, and, and we have seen God's amazing blessing just poured out on my business. And the pastor, of course, wanted to know, oh, well, praise God, what, what kind of business are you in? <laughs> he says, well, it's an agrarian kind of pursuit, and he said, oh, really? Like what? He said, well, you know, I, I grow and I sell pot. Oh, the pastor says, I guess we do have a little bit of a problem here. He <laughs> said, well, we, we know. We need to get out of all of that, and we want you to officiate at our wedding. We want to get married. We, we want to uh, start over. And so we really need to, to move because we have too many associations around here and friends that just aren't good for us. And, and we want to get baptized. Would you baptize us? And, of course, the pastor said, I'd be so honored. And uh, he officiated at their wedding, and they were baptized. And the whole church showed up to help them pack up their few belongings and send them on their way up north where they resettled and outside of Portland, Oregon. And uh, like I say, I tell this story a lot, and every once in a while I get reports from people in that area of the country who say, oh, I know Bob and Karen, and they're still volunteering as youth leaders in the local church. They're still doing well. And I love the story because it's just a reminder what a blessing it is when one Bob, one Karen, one Jerry, one Lisa come to Jesus, all of heaven erupts in a big party because every Jerry, every Bob, every Karen, every Lisa matters to God. Story number three. I think of this story because it really happened in this conference. 
I put myself through school selling books and Bibles as a literature evangelist. And at the end of the summer, we would meet at a summer camp in one of our unions to just have a week of rest and relaxation, recreation, so on. And so this particular summer, we were at Nisoka Pines, which is the summer camp for this conference. After uh, playing basketball late into the night, someone suggested, hey, let's go cool off and go jump in the lake. And so we did, and we're swimming around down there. And someone called out, uh, has anybody seen Dave? Where's Dave? Dave was here a while ago. We started looking, and he wasn't there on the shore, and then we started looking all through camp. By now, feeling a little bit of panic. Where's Dave? And then someone suggested back at the waterfront, look, let's form a human chain. And let's dredge the bottom of the lake together. And so we did that. We locked elbows. And we'd come up for air, and then we'd go down, and we'd step a few steps forward, and then we'd come up for air, and we'd go down until finally someone toward the end of the line shouted, uh, I, I felt something, I felt something. And sure enough, they dove down, and they dredged his body up onto the shore. I started to give a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. My friend Mike started to do CPR. They called uh, for an ambulance, but as you may know, it's, it's a bit of a drive to get in there, and so it was, as I recall, about a half an hour before the paramedics arrived, and they took him away, still working on him. We couldn't get a heartbeat. And there we were on the beach at Nisoka Pines, begging God, God, please, please. Sometime later, they called the camp with the tragic news that he was pronounced dead on arrival. That was a long time ago, but I can still remember lying on the top bunk in that cabin at the camp, staring at the ceiling, wondering, what if? What if we had called the paramedics sooner? What if we had noticed sooner? What if we had just never gone down there swimming in the first place? What if? Really heavy questions for a college kid to try to grapple with. And through the years, I've referenced that story as an appeal to the saints to say, you know, friends, we've got to lock arms. And we've got to be focused on one thing, seeking to save the lost, the one agenda item of our master, the most important thing. Well, I shared this story a few years ago at the Montana camp meeting. Uh, after I finished, there were a number of people sort of waiting to talk to me. And I noticed this one couple in the shadow waiting patiently until finally everybody had left. And I was there alone with them, and they introduced themselves as Dave's parents. I had never met them before. And they filled me in on what happened, and, and it was reassuring to find out all these years later that it it wasn't something that was related to the swimming or it was a, just a heart defect that 
They said even if he had been sleeping, uh, it would have happened. And so that was somewhat comforting to hear. But then they said to me, uh, would, would you, you know, do us a favor? I mean, we would feel so honored if you would just tell Dave's story every opportunity you get and challenge the church of Jesus Christ to stay focused on seeking out, being intentional, seeking to save those who really are drowning in a world of sin. And I said, I would be so honored to keep Dave's memory alive. And I'll tell the story as often as I possibly can, and, and I have. Because, friends, you know, what we're thinking about together at this camp meeting this summer, it really, really matters. That's why I did a whole year on this very series, Share Him. So many things that we get caught up in just don't matter that much. I remember one business meeting, hundreds of church members came, and we argued for hours about what color to paint the walls and the renovation project, and it was time well spent. And I say that sincerely. I think decor in a church is very important, and they're, they're healthy conversations. I don't begrudge any of those conversations because I think that stuff matters, but it doesn't matter as much as this one. Over the years, I've had many, many animated conversations with church members about the music and trying to transfer our church and put it truly in the hands of, of the young people. And last year, you know, talking about sharing him with our kids and with the younger generation and letting millennials and centennials and let these kids have the church and uh, you know what I pleaded with my congregation was uh, you know I don't just want to give these young people a seat at our table I want to give them the whole stinking table right I, I just want them to feel